Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen and amen. Come on, Holy Spirit, meet with us tonight. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you and invite you to join me in the book of Hebrews, if you will, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter number 12. Chapter 12. Everybody all right? I about had a spell over there on my, on my row. I don't know about you guys. That's why I had to ask you if you all right. I got a little lightheaded. I held a note too long over there. I just got fired up, man. I'm so glad that God loves me. I can't imagine that. I can't get past that. It still bewilders me that God would love me and pursue me and pay for me. Now, you may have gotten over that, but I hadn't gotten over that yet. And uh, I'm just amazed tonight that not only would he pay for me and pursue me, but then he'd give me to preach and get, let me have the opportunity to, uh, to be his mouthpiece tonight. And so I'm excited about what he's about to say to us tonight. So, again, Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, if you will, look with me, uh, beginning in verse number 3, all right? Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse number 3. And uh, interestingly enough tonight, uh, Brian and I are preaching the same passage. So what I'm preaching up here, uh, Brian's going to be preaching down there, right? And so I'm excited about that. I love when that happens because, and not that it was by accident, he and I were discussing today, and I had something else prepared, but I just got all fired up. I told him he always comes to my office and starts something, you know? And, uh, and so uh, I pivoted and went and just felt like we were, I was going to preach this particular passage with the Lord placed on my heart. So the title is, and you've heard this title before, but it's another part of the Scripture where we are encouraged to keep going. So would you just write those two, na- two words down as the title, keep going. And uh, I ask you this from time to time, and uh, I usually get the same answer, but how many of you would say that sometimes uh, you get tired? Now, first let me say that there's a difference between tired and weary, uh, tired is more about physical, right? Your body hasn't had enough slept or you've been overworking or overdoing and you will find yourself tired. But weary, weary, you can get a full, you know, six, seven, eight hours of sleep and, and, and be rested up. You, matter of fact, you can go on vacation for a week and still be weary. That's, a, that's more of an emotional or a spiritual uh, uh, type of fatigue. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, the difference between the two? Nod your head if you're tracking with me. Some of y'all are tired and weary because you're not nodding with me tonight. And uh, so we think about being tired and weary. And it's, it's, it doesn't, I mean, it obviously makes great sense that God in so many different places in the Word encourages us to keep going. Uh, he's mindful. Here's what the Bible says about God and us. God is mindful that we are made of the dust. Did you know that? Uh, what does that mean? He knows that we're merely human and we struggle. And we do. How many of you know we struggle? Say amen. That's why we talk about the struggle bus. All of us are on it because we're humans and we struggle. Uh, matter of fact, I want to quickly uh, tell you this about me and you. And this is a side note. Wait for you to. I want to give you this bit of information to help you minister to a lost and dying world. Are you ready? So I had someone not too long. I'm talking about us being made of the dust. Be careful about going to the world uh, with this kind of theology. You ready? Be careful to tell someone who struggles in sin, and, and maybe they say they're born that way or what have you, and be careful about looking at them and saying, no, you weren't born that way. Your sin is a choice. Be careful about saying, 
that's, that's not, you, you chose that. It's not how you were born because, now see if you can help me with the phrase, God don't make, right, mistakes. Or have you heard it this way in the South? God don't make no junk. You ever heard that? Now, that is such a twisted and wrong theology in the birth of a human being. If you take that theology that God doesn't make any junk to the birth of a child, you are in essence saying that every baby is born without a sin nature. Oh, wow. Some of y'all just went, boom, light bulb just went off. So, uh, God does not make any junk. That's true. But the problem is the fall. And since the fall, we've been worse than junk. We're twisted, we're bent. Matter of fact, the Scripture says that our heart is desperately wicked even from our youth. We, in fact, are born that way. We're born with bends towards sin in different areas, and some of us it's violent, some of us it's overeating, some of us it's same-sex attraction, some of us, and it goes all over the map. So please, don't go to the world and say to them, you're not the way you are because uh, you are the way you are, not because you were born that way. You, you just chose it, and, and God didn't make any jump. Because here's what they'll say. They'll take and turn that, and I, it happened today, and the person said, well, I've always heard from the Christians that God didn't make any junk, so I'm mad at God for making me this way. You've just messed them up. You tracking with me? Okay, that was a message inside a message. If you'd ever like to talk about that one-on-one, -on -one, I would love to discuss that with you. Be careful about how you represent God with loose lip theology that you saw on a T-shirt or heard somebody quote. Y'all with me? All right, now we can, that wasn't about with the message, by the way. That was just a little something that got on my heart today, and I felt like I wanted, I wanted really to share that with you because I don't want you doing harm out there. I want you doing good. I want you letting people know that they are born lost and separated from God, and they're broken, and there's wickedness in their heart, and Jesus is the only hope. And it's not God's fault that we're that way. It's to fall in the garden. But it is God's fault that we have an, a rescue plan named Jesus. And so uh, help, help me with that as you go out and represent God and Jesus well and the Holy Ghost well. Okay, y'all all right? Everybody okay? Some of y'all looking down at the carpet. It's all right. Uh, that's a good truth for us to know because, uh, well, I'm trusting you to take the gospel outside these walls. All right? So here we go. Hebrews chapter 12. God is mindful that we're made of the dust, and so he knows that we have a tendency to quit. We want to quit. And, uh, yeah, let me ask this. If you didn't get a prayer, if you did not get an outline for tonight's message, would you hold your hand up, and we'll make sure that you get one. we got a few. Hold them up for just a minute. It may take them just a second to get to you, okay? Hold them up where they can see your hand. And uh, so as we talk about this tonight, we're going to look at two areas of, of how we can find encouragement from Hebrews chapter 12 about to keep going. In other words, not to quit. Now, I want you to think about times in your life when you, has anybody here ever quit at something? Anybody here ever quit a job? Raise your hand if you ever quit a job. Anybody quit a job? Ever in your whole life you ever quit a job? Anybody? Ray, again, one more time. <laughs> My good Lord. All of us have quit jobs. All right. Uh, how many of you would have quit relationships before? Is it bad? Things didn't turn out the way you thought it was? Raise your hand. Oh, wow. We've quit. All right. So, so if you'd quit more than one thing, can you be classified as a quitter? I like that. I was like, no. <laughs> By definition, a quitter is one who quit. Okay, anyway. So we do have a tendency, right, when things are not going the way we think they should or are good, and quitting is not a bad thing always, but in the Christian life it is, because to quit means to shrink back. It means, it means to sit down and, and, and shut up and not be effective and not be used and not, and not uh, continue to build the kingdom, and that is not, listen, the reason that he saved us. So tonight, I'm going to look at, if we can, Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to begin in verse number 3, and I want to read down through verse number 11 here in just a moment. But I'm reminded of two things that, that, that are discouraging sometimes. Sometimes things are discouraging when we don't have anybody else to look to. Uh, and what I mean by that is I, I remember I've got a good friend who I'll just say his name is Steve. And Steve, 
when we played football together at Mississippi College, and when they recruited Steve, he was a, he was a, a, a lean tight end, but they wanted him to play tackle, and so they knew he was going to grow into it, right? And he did grow into it just a little later on down the road. And so as that thing unfolded, every day the coaches would be tough on him, and they would just be wearing him out. And at the end of practice, we'd be sitting on the steps right outside the field house, and he'd say, I'm quitting, I'm quitting, I'm done. I'm done with this, I'm quitting. And I'd say, hey, man, don't don't quit. You know, give it another day. Come on, we're in this thing together. And that happened for uh, a long season, right? And then then one day he said it to me. It was like clockwork. Every single day after practice, he said, I'm quitting, I'm done. I said, no, man, come on, let's keep going. And he would. And one day he said, looked at me, he said, I, and I'd had a bad day too. And he said, I'm, I'm done. I'm quitting. And I didn't say anything. And he turned his equipment in and he quit. And so sometimes, sometimes it's a tendency, right, that we don't have anybody to look to, anybody there to look to be an example for us, uh, to encourage us. You know, anybody tracking with me? And then other times in, in, in his life specifically, and sometimes it's because we feel like we're getting um, in trouble so much. Uh, now, I'm going to explain that as we go along. There were times I remember uh, when I was a child and, and I was doing some things and dad and mom would get on to me and I'd think, man, you know, this is not that bad. Why are you doing, you know, so-and-so is doing this. And I'd be mad because, you know, mom and dad were coming down on me hard, but my buddy Matthew, you know, he's, he's doing whatever he wants to do and his mom and dad aren't doing him that way. And I just wanted to quit doing right because, well, because I kept getting into trouble for doing the, what I thought were the little things. Now, I want you to hold those two things in your mind as we read Hebrews chapter 12, there are going to be two things that the author of Hebrews says to the audience as to what they can look to uh, and some attitude to have to keep going in the midst of difficulty of life. So would you stand with me tonight as we read Hebrews 12, beginning in verse number 3? Everybody okay? Yeah, boy, y'all just like slow out of the gate on Wednesday night, and uh, I'm, I'm ready for what God wants to say to us. Verse number, I'm going to start in 1, and we're going to read all the way down to 11, okay? Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin." And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to, y'all help me, sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, y'all help me, he chastens, he chastises, he punishes, he disciplines, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what, is, what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons at all. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in the subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, No chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Somebody amen right there. There was a time when mom and daddy got on to you when you said, this is so much fun. I love this. This is like riding a roller coaster. It's so fun, joyful. He says, no chasing. I love that. No chasing. He didn't say some. He says, no time when you've gotten in trouble did it feel good and joyful. Uh, But he says, as as I read along, verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present but painful. 
right, when you have things taken from you or if it's a physical punishment, it's painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it, it what, discipline, chastising, punishment, yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those, listen to this, who have been trained by it. Discipline has the ability to train us, okay? Let's pause for just a brief word of prayer. Would you bow with me for just a moment? Father, I thank you tonight for the assignment that you've given me to preach this text to this people at this particular time. I thank you, Lord, that as I come into this pulpit, I'm reminded that you have met me here so many times before, and I'm asking you again as I call on the God of uh, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Lord, I, I ask you, I beseech you, I beg you, help me again, help me again, God, to deliver this word in such a way that every person from the oldest to the youngest can understand it. Lord, that every person gets something that transforms and renews our mind, that we leave out of here a little bit more like Jesus. So, Father, as you help me to preach with the gift you've given me, both of the Spirit and to preach, would you also preach to me? Because, God, I need to hear what you have to say. So speak into our lives. Lord, there are many in here who are tired. It's been a long day. They've been through a lot. Lord, I pray now they'd feel like they're pulling up to your table, and you're about to feed them from the resource of your word, and they would belly up to the to the table, Lord, and you would sit down like a father with his children, and you'd feed us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. And by the way, Wednesday night out in the middle of nowhere on a, in the summertime, and you jokers are filling this place up. I love you guys. I'm telling you, I love you guys. I missed you. Y'all ain't going to even smile at me, huh? Well, I still love you. And last Wednesday night, I missed you guys as I uh, helped to kick off a men's uh, study that began. They're on their first session tonight as a group of men. And you guys know that I'm very passionate about because if you could reach the heart of men, they impact families. And so I did that. But, man, I'm telling you, it was hard not to be here last Wednesday night. And so I'm so glad to be back. I want to rewind back to verse number three, okay? And the title of the message is Keep Going, and the main idea of the message is Keep Going, all right? There's going to be two sections to this. So if you're keeping, well, you have an outline there. Uh, Number one in your outline, the first section of what we're going to look at in verses three and four is that the author reminds them as they face difficulty, as they face suffering, as they face persecution, uh, what he said to them in verses one and two, one of those uh, particular instructions was to look to Jesus, look to Jesus, And if you remember, if we look back a couple of Sundays ago on a Sunday morning in John 21, we saw where one of his disciples muffed that, right? I'm telling you, he dropped the ball because he didn't look to Jesus when he was given his assignment of being crucified, but he looked to somebody else. You remember who he looked to? John. You got, look how you're putting all the pieces together. And so here was Peter, a disciple of Christ, and what he did is that he didn't look to Jesus as the author and finisher. Jesus gave him the assignment, and if he's looking to Jesus as the author and finisher, then he'd say, okay, crucifixion it is. I'm going to lock eyes with you, and I'm going to trust you to get me there and to the other side. But instead, what he did was he looked over at John and said, what about him? And so if we're not careful, we'll miss out on the point of what he's about to say. Now, he flows into verses 3 and 4. Now, depending on what Bible translation you have, uh, now, here's a fancy word. I'm just going to teach you some things about, about Bible study. The breaking down of the text into sections is something called a pericope. Now, you don't have to say that, and you'll never have to say it again. But you notice what I'm talking about? It's blocks of Scripture, maybe two verses, maybe ten verses. Uh, The first section you see broke down is Hebrews 12. If you have New King James, it's what, how many verses in the first pericope of chapter 12? One, and it's two verses, right? Hebrews 12, y'all help me. One and two. Then there's a break, and there's a subdivision put in, and there's a space between. Are y'all tracking with me? I want to help you for a second. <clears throat> I want to help you for a second. Uh, not just depend on those subheadings. And I want to help you not to just trust where those pericopes are broken up. 
Uh, because what happened is somebody's looking at it and they're interpreting, not translating, interpreting, and they're saying, well, I think this, this is where it breaks, and they'll break it here and break it there. I strongly disagree where this, where this is broken between verses 2 and 3. Now, somebody's like, what is he talking about? I'm asking you to bring your mind into your faith. Now, why would I say that? Verse 3 and 4, what does it deal with? Who does it deal with? Come on, say his name. Jesus. It's dealing with Jesus. Now, who did he just tell us in verse 2 to look to? Jesus. And verses 3 and 4 deal with taking a gander, if you will, at Jesus. It, it's not talking about looking at his olive-complected skin. It's not talking about looking at a portrait of, a, uh, of Jesus on your wall. He's talking about taking a close, beholding look at the life and the example of the champion of our faith, Jesus. And in verses 3 and 4, he details it a little bit more. Y'all tracking with me? But then verse 5, there's a pivot. And he stops talking about Jesus and he starts talking about the discipline of God. Is anybody out there? I feel like y'all are sound asleep on me out there. Have I, should I leave that alone or y'all get, I'm, I'm trying to, I want, you to not, I want you to be an individual, informed child of God. That you don't just trust what somebody says or what you see. I want you to be in this thing, okay? Uh, and so, uh, notice, do you see that? Now, so, so do, you, do you understand what I'm saying about verses 3 and 4? goes back, should go where? Looking at Jesus. I'm, in verses 3 and 4, what am I doing? I'm looking at the example of Jesus. What about him? His, his struggle with sinners, how they treat him hostile, and his struggle with temptation in the garden, right? When he, you remember what happened in the garden when he was wrestling with temptation? Anybody? He sweats some kind of way. Blood. Drops of blood. And that's why the statement is made in verse 4. So now, I want to break it down a little bit. Look in your outline. Some of y'all look like I've bored you to tears. I hope that you'll store that somewhere. The uh, reason, reason I say that is I get a little bit beside myself when I see people shutting their brain off and just trusting anything anybody says. I get a little beside myself. When you hear somebody say, God, don't make any jump. Oh, that's right. That's right. And you just take that phrase out there and you harm, a lost, you harm the ability to reach a lost person with the true knowledge that we are born broken, but Jesus has the ability to correct us and to heal us and to restore us. Okay. So, again, these are small things, but know, when you're studying the Word, you ought to study the Word. All right, here we go. So, one and two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. Verse three, for consider, oh, there it is. That word consider means to behold and to investigate. It's the same uh, in a different context of looking to. All right? So, I'm, I'm considering Jesus. Now, here, here's what we're going to look at in, in, in Roman numeral one. Obviously, you wrote in the outline, in the blank there, in the Roman numeral one, y'all help me consider who? Jesus. Do you see why verse 3 and 4 included? Why? Because number one, he tells the audience to consider the hostility that Jesus endured from sinners. So listen, as you're, as you're writing that in the blank, what, what he's saying is now you, you're facing some hard times. And part of that is because you're being persecuted by the world. Okay? Y'all nodding with me or something? All right, so uh, they are experiencing difficulty in the world. But here's what the author of, of Hebrews is saying. But listen, if you're going to compare somebody, don't look over there at John and see if he's suffering. Don't look over there at G Jill and see how her, her kids are going, how they're, how they're going about life. He's saying, he's saying, y'all tracking with me? He's saying, if you're going to compare to somebody and how you, woe is me and all oh, my life is terrible and I'm mistreated and all oh, poor pitiful. He said, if you want to look to somebody to compare yourself to, look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. And in verse number three, specifically, the enduring of hostility from sinners. And be mindful that he came to save them, us. And yet those sinners he came to save were extremely hostile to him. 
They mistreated him. They rejected him. They mocked him. They were always trying to kill him and trick him. Uh, he was, he, there was never a time where things were just smooth and easy, you know. E- even his disciples, when it came time for really the count, uh, they struck the shepherd, and what happened to the prophecy in the Old Testament? And the sheep scattered. They scattered. And so he had hostility. People were angry with him. Think, think about this. There were times when Jesus would touch a, a man's withered hand or heal his, her, her, his or her blind eyes, and, and when he would do so, they would start saying, well, he does it by the power of Satan. I mean, I mean he, everything he did, every kind act was, was ridiculed. He had hostility around every corner, and I'm telling you, your day wasn't like that. And your life hasn't been like that, and neither has mine. And so when we get on our soapboxes about woe is me and life is hard and people are mean to me and, and all the little things that we like to do, what we ought to do is stop comparing ourselves maybe to our office manager or to our good friend. What we ought to do is take a gander at the life and times of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will happen every time I do that? I start saying to myself, good night, I got it so good. I ought to pinch myself. I feel like I'm living in a dream. And it doesn't matter what people say about me and how they treat me. Uh, I am going, I'm headed to heaven. I'm walking in relationship with God. Are you kidding me? I'm walking in, I get to talk to God and he talks to me and I spend time with him, he spends time with me and I get to do things on his behalf that he gifted me to do. Are you kidding me? I'm telling you, how in heaven's name am I going to say woe is me because sometimes the people are mean. But we have not endured such hostility like Jesus. So consider Jesus. How am I going to keep going? Every time I get downtrodden about how mean somebody has been to me, I need to stop in that moment and consider who? Jesus. I need to see him walking down the Via Della Rosa, the road to the cross, as they're hurling accusations against him. I need to picture him high and lifted on the cross as they've beaten him unrecognizable as a man. And I need to see the people rolling dice at his feet for his clothing. And I need to be reminded my day's not so bad. And my life is not so difficult. Uh, It's considered Jesus and the hostility he endured from sinners. Number two in your outline there, and that was in verse number three. We're going to move right on into verse number four. And we're going to consider for a moment his struggle with temptation. Jesus' struggle with temptation. How many of you know that Jesus was, in fact, wrestling with temptation? Temptation to what? Well, what was the prayer uh, conflict in the garden between the Father and the Son? What was it? It was a battle of the will. Oh, look at y'all. Battle of the wheels. How do you know that? What did Jesus say? If there's any way, if there's any way in your will that this cup can, can pass away from me, then, then let it. But if not, listen, nevertheless, your will be done and not my own. And there was a struggle there. And how great was the struggle? How great was the struggle? So much so that he sweated drops of blood. When's the last time that you were so in agony fighting against sin that you, you bled from your brow? Because you were so strong in resistance to temptation. I'll tell you when, it hasn't happened. And it hasn't happened for me. Now, I've been in some deep battles with sin. Anybody else can say? Let, let me see who will be honest in here tonight. How many of you say that you have, in fact, been in your life in some deep battles with sin? Amen. I mean, you've been in some deep battles. You can say you've been. But at the same time, none of us have been in such a deep battle that, that we anguished so much that there was blood on the ground from our brow as we sweated in anguish resisting temptation. So then, we can be encouraged to keep going because we consider Jesus the hostility he endured from sinners, but also we can consider the struggle he endured with temptation, except 
He didn't fall. He lived it perfectly. He endured all the way to the cross. And so in your notes, I wrote just a little sentence that struck me. When discouragement and weariness about, uh, you know, life, think about Jesus and do some comparison, right? And just right, you're riding in your truck or your car, or you're sitting in your office, and you say, man, I got the worst boss. And I'm, I mean, people are just, they're so mean to me, and nobody likes me, and they got all these cliques, and I'm left out and all this. You just stop all that nonsense in your head, and you just compare your life to Jesus. And think about how ridiculed and rejected, mocked he was, and all that he went through. And think about the struggle that he had in the garden as he, as he sweated drops of blood. Let me remind you, be encouraged. He suffered, and he lived it perfectly. Number two, you already move on? Anybody believe now that verses 3 and 4 belong back up with verses 1 and 2? Yeah, you see it now. And so uh, I'm glad you do, and I want you to always be investigating, all right? Have an open mind as you open the Scripture. Don't just let that block and the little title there that is not inspired of God that somebody wrote in that kind of tried to sum it up. And, uh, and so you be careful to let the Holy Ghost, as you're reading through that, guide you. All right, so 3 and 4, consider Jesus. Now, we're going to move to the second section of this that deals with, and something totally different, it deals with uh, discipline. Okay, so when you notice that Roman number two, consider, write this in the blank, God's discipline. So when you feel like quitting, stop and consider the life of Jesus, okay, the way he endured hostility and temptation. But also, uh, sometimes, and, and let me remind you of something that we learned back in First Peter. Here it is. Not all suffering is suffering because of righteousness. Is anybody kind of thinking through that for a minute? okay. So here's my question to see if you're thinking through it with me. Have you ever suffered because of a decision you made? Uh, have you ever, like me, committed sin and that sin cost you some stuff? And you probably, like, like me, most of us would say that there, there's been some sin in the past that we're still struggling with today, consequences of that we're still facing today. And so though we're forgiven, we still have consequences that we're facing in this life. <clears throat> so, so as we think about that today, have you ever, uh, have you ever considered this uh, temptation in this life or, or to, be, to fall, to quit? According to difficulty, if, in fact, we can lighten the load of suffering, should we? I like that right there. Y'all are thinking hard, boy. Like, oh, what in the world is he talking about? If his audience is facing difficulty from persecution and hardship, and there's a temptation to quit, okay, to walk away, uh, if there's a possibility in our own power to lighten the load of our difficulty, should we? Oh, interesting. Okay. Now, let's read. Hang on to that. That sounds like we had a prevailing no. Uh, let me ask this question. How many of you would say, yes, we should lighten that load if we're able? I like that right there. Well, y'all confused as you can be. So let's, let's now watch that because I'm, I'm proving something here to you. Why he pivots from Jesus now to discipline. Discipline. Now, let me ask you, when you're disciplined, is that heavy weight in your load? Yeah, because discipline is always something painful, difficult, uncomfortable. Would you agree with that statement? It's, it's uncomfortable, whether, whether and I'm going I'm to go back and forth from, from like earth to heaven. When, when mom and dad take something for you or, or, or whip your tail, there's some pain involved, right? Some emotional pain or some physical pain involved with that. So then. If in this life I'm facing difficulty all around me, all right, I'm going to use the physical realm and swap back to the spiritual. Uh, 
I've got hardship because I live a fallen person in a fallen world, right? And I'm, I'm living for Jesus out there, and I'm, I'm, I'm catching the blues, buddy, because I'm living for Jesus. And people are making fun of me because I don't drink and act a fool like I used to. I don't, I don't hammer them for it. I just don't do it. And I'm catching the blues. They're making fun of me. I'm catching the blues at work because I don't, I'm not involved in the same group text that I used to where people are putting pictures of things I shouldn't be looking at. And, uh, and, I'm, no long, and I'm catching the blues from my buddies, Right? The other officers or soldiers that I work with because I'm not involved in that anymore. And so I've got all of this pressure, man. It's pressure on me. And then on top of that, I live in disobedience and, and, it, and it, it causes me to be punished and the punishment adds to my load. Of course, why would God say, hey, look at this punishment thing in a different light? Because if I can lighten my load by not disobeying God, if I can lighten my load by honoring God and obeying God, then of course I should. Why would I live in direct disobedience to God and add to the difficulty that I'm facing because I'm living for Jesus in certain areas of my life and not living for him in others? And so then I'm facing persecution from the world, and that's a brick in my bag that I'm trying to tote around. And then I'm also disobeying God, and he's chastising me, and that's a much heavier brick in my bag. And listen, shouldn't I then lighten my load by lovingly obeying God and not suffering extra consequences for living in disobedience? Okay, I'm, I'm glad I built that case there for just me. Y'all got me a little concerned there for a minute, all right? Now, let's pick up. Let me show you. Watch how this thing pivots. He goes from uh, talking about Jesus. And again, I want to tell you why I don't believe three and four go down in this particular passage. Because from four, or excuse me, from five on down deals nothing but discipline. You ready? And Jesus was not disciplined by God. Are you with me? The father didn't whip the son with the Roman scourge because the son had committed sin. It was a substitutionary penalty. He took what you and I deserved. So three and four need to be bumped up. I'm sorry, I'm trying to move on. I get a little frustrated about things sometimes. Now we're going to talk about discipline. Y'all tracking with me? All right, here we go. Picking up in verse number five. Anybody having as much fun as I am? I love Wednesday nights, man. I really do. Once y'all get warmed up, son, it's good, it's good in here. All right, here we go. Verse number, verse number five. Y'all tracking with me? Here we go. Watch what happens. Uh, so he said, you've not yet resisted to the bloodshed striving against sin. You hadn't. Jesus did. Uh, verse five. And you have forgotten the exhortation or the encouragement which speaks to you as to sons. So now, if I'm being tempted to quit because, well, I've disobeyed God, and because of that, there's been some consequences. He said, you're going to have to think about this thing differently. So number one, in the, you, there's a list of five things. I want to tell you five things about the discipline of God, okay? First of all, uh, have the right attitude. Have the right attitude, all right? Now, how many of you can say that you know for certain that God has punished you for something in your life before? Huh? Uh, I used to hear people say it like this, God had to take me to the woodshed. I'm like, mm, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, I, he's done that for me. Um, but at the same time, uh, God is a... He's a, he's a merciful and gentle, isn't he, uh, to deal with us as sons and daughters um, because he could have done away with us a long time ago, um, but he's not done that. And, and, and would you, how many of you agree with me on this? God dealing with me as a son, I would have to say this about God. He is so patient. Like, I'm, I, he is so patient. Uh, how many of you get a little bit impatient with, ch with your children when they're acting like children? And, boy, you can, I'm telling you, we can get impatient with them, can't we? And, uh, and so let me just, let's just read verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to 
sons. Now, here's the exhortation or the challenge or the encouragement. What is it? Number one, have the right attitude. Have the right attitude. Where do you see that? Read with me verse 5. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. That's an attitude. Uh, when you, you, how many of you, oh boy, you don't get this till you have kids. You have kids and you start remembering when your mom and dad said, don't roll your eyes at me like that. Huh? And, or you tell them to go do something, they go do it, and they storm off. Oh, son, it's like pouring hot water on me. When they'd huff, spin around and huff and storm off, you know, and, and mumble something under their breath. Oh, man, they, they didn't know big daddy could move so fast. I'd be on the other side of them going, wait, what'd you say? What'd you say? And so, and so li- listen, he says, don't have a bad attitude about it. Don't despise it. Don't hate it. Okay, you got to have the right attitude about, about punishment. Now, uh, I would have to say this, and I was thinking about this even like right up to time to get started. When did you get a good attitude about, about being punished? Now, don't answer quick. That's not a quick question. When did you? Some of y'all are like, I never have. <laughs> I, still ain't, I still ain't happy about it. It took me some time. Matter of fact, I believe it's probably when I was out of the house on my own. Huh? And, and started looking at my life and, and looking at the lives of those uh, kids whose daddies and mamas let anything go. And I watched them struggle. You know, I remember being like 19, 20, 21. That was a big, big transition for me when I was watching uh, those friends of mine whose daddies and mamas just laughed about things they did wrong, made jokes about it, you know, made, no, made light of it like it was no big deal, just said everybody's doing that's not no problem. And I watched those kids when they were 18, 19, 20 struggle mightily with their identity, with, with, with life. I mean, they just struggled, man. And it was in those moments, and I was already out of the house, that I began to think about, man, I sure am glad that my mom and daddy did not take lightly when I didn't do what they said do. Like when I was somewhere and I did something wrong, it, there was no, the teachers and all that stuff. Like today, you know what happens? The teachers are wrong until proof. You know, my mom and daddy, if they got a report from another adult, it was settled. There was no jury. We didn't collect evidence. And it helped me. It, I looked at, at 19, 20, 21, I watched my life and their life. Uh, 22, I watched my life and their life. And they, they didn't have any, it was all sort of blurry. And because of that, uh, man, and, 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 when, and when life, because life will punish you if you make wrong decisions. Did you know that? Did you know that even if your mom and daddy don't teach you their laws out there, you've got to follow? And there's a whole group of law enforcement officers that will, that will help you to do that, right? Whether it be a ticket or to arrest you. I'm telling you, they'll do it. They'll do it. And if mom and daddy don't teach you there, I'm telling you, you're going to, you're, it's going to be terrible. So the right attitude, the right attitude. My, I, over the years, my kids would be like, so-and-so pulled me over because I, I said, well, don't speed. Well, I said, well, did you get a ticket? Yes, well, okay, you don't speed. Well, I can't believe they wrote me a ticket. Well, it's because you were speeding. So how are you going to have an attitude for the, for, for the, the chastisement? So you've heard the phrase before, you did the crime, you got to do the time. So in, in, in our own lives, in our relationship with the Lord, we forget sometimes that he, like a loving father, will also chastise us. You know, I had a lady tell me one time, I had a lady tell me one time, God does not punish his children. I said, what do you do with the book of Hebrews? And they just looked at me, you know. They said, well, I feel like, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't argue in feelings because I feel all types of ways. Depending on if I've eaten or didn't sleep, you know, I feel all types of ways. But if we're going to have a discretion, we've got to do it on truth. And Hebrews very clearly says he does chastise his children. So have the right attitude. Consider the fact that God is working in my life. He's working something out of me that I can't work out of me. 
He's working something, watch this, into me that I can't work into me. He's doing that for me, and so it's the right attitude. Number two in your list there, five things about uh, considering the discipline of God, God's discipline. Number one, have the right. Y'all help me. Oh, we need to wake up in the morning and say, oh, God, give me the right attitude. If today I, fast, uh, I face punishment for some decision that I made, some willful, sinful disobedience, then God, give me the right attitude of humility that turns my life back into the path in which you want me to walk. Oh, that's, what, a, what a beautiful thing to say to God if you mean it with your heart. Number two, discipline proves the Father's love. Discipline proves the Father's love. Let me show you. You looking with me in verse number five? No? All right, well, I'm going to read it. My son, my son did not despise the chastening, the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Oh, don't be discouraged. Don't be despising it. Have the right attitude. When you think about that, so... He says, uh, for whom the Lord loves, help me somebody, he chastens. So notice what he says, my son don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That uh, number two needs to have, instead of 5C, it needs to have a 6 there. So scratch that 5C, I'll put a 6 there. First part of verse 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So it's an evidence of the love of God. That is in chastening. God lo- Here's what I, I say oftentimes about, about the love of God. Uh, someone told me not too long ago, they said, well, you know, I know God loves me no matter what. And I said, you're 100% right, he does. But if you turn your life over to him, let me help you to see something. He loves you too much to leave you like you are. Just the same way he does me. Oftentimes, people will throw up uh, this idea that, hey, we shouldn't call sin, sin, because Jesus ate with sinners. He did, but every time he ate with them, he told them where they were in sin, and he pointed them in the direction of righteousness. Always, always. Uh, And so you, you began to see that it is the love of God that says, don't go that way because that way is a pitfall. Don't go that way because that way is a six foot deep pothole. Uh, don't go that way because that way is divorce. Don't go that way because that way is a struggle for you mentally for the rest of your life. And so he says, go this way. And if you don't, I'm going to love you enough to allow some consequences and punishment to happen to bring you back. Uh, how many of you can say that you've been some places that you're glad that God's chastisement brought you back uh, and to the place of walking with him? Boy, I am so thankful for the discipline of God. Discipline proves the Father's love. Now, let me move a little further along. Uh, number three in your list of five things about considering the discipline of God, have the right attitude about it. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It, it proves the Father's love. Then, then the rest of verse 6 and on into verse 8, discipline is evidence of relationship. It's evidence of relationship. You know that I don't punish your children, right? Because I'm not with them all the time. Now, if they came to my house all the time, I'll never forget the first time I, I whipped my nephew. Boy, he was startled, you know. Couldn't believe that I did that. Um, but I did because I had relationship with him. Came over all the time. We knew each other. Um, y- y'all tracking with me? Uh, it's evidence of relationship. Let, let me show you. Uh, verse 6 on now. So he says, and, and the end of verse 6, and scourges every, here's the term I want you to get, every son whom he receives. God does that. He scourges every son whom he receives. If... You endure chastening, discipline, punishment. God deals with you, and I want you to circle that next three, three words in your, in your Scripture there, as with sons, or obviously, if you're a female, with daughters. Sons and daughters. 
So discipline is evidence that I have a relationship with God, and God has a relationship with me. I don't just have this prayer I paid like a golden ticket in my back pocket to get out of hell and go to heaven. I've got a relationship with him. Because he loved me and died for me and has given me all these wonderful gifts of grace in my life, I, I, I want to follow him. You, you track it? I, wanna, I want my life to line up in a way that pleases him. Not because I can make him love me more, but because he loves me so much. I want him to be pleased with what he's done for me and what he's deposited in me and platforms he's given me and the resources he's blessed my life with. I, I want them to bless him. The discipline of God is evidence of a relationship. We know each other. We talk with each other. Let me ask you something. How is your relationship with Jesus? What's it look like? Is it every day, all day? Do you listen for him and talk to him? Are you quick to hurry up and meet him first thing in the morning so that he can help you live for him that day? Oh, I hope so. If not, listen to me. Let me tell you something. You are missing out. You're missing out. If church is it for you, I'm so sad for you. I, want, I wish you had this. If you, and they're all looking at it. Don't look down. I mean, if it's not you, I'm not talking to you. But if it's you, I am talking to you. And I, I, I want you to have this relationship that I have. Not just heaven, but this relationship that I have. All right, let me move on if I can. Reading on down, verse number 8. Uh, but it, it, he says, but if you are without chastening, listen, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate. And not sons at all. You listen to me. Let me let me bring that down to country boy simple term. Here's what it means. If you can live how you want to live in disobedience to God and not be chastised, you don't belong to him. Wow. You're not his child. Now you can say it, you can wear a t shirt, bumper sticker, sing the song, I am a child of God. You can sing it. You can say I talk to God all the time. You can do all of that. You can live that pretense. But it doesn't make it true. He says, very very plainly, not, not a, you realize I'm not reading from anything except straight from the Scripture. He says, if you can live your life without chastisement from God, if you can live in disobedience to God, if you can continue in the sin of rebellion and going against the ways of God and not face any punishment, you're not his. Man, that's a whoo. Good night. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's a sobering truth is what it is. Discipline is evidence of relationship, okay? Now, Let's move on, and we are coming closer to the end. Number four in your list of five things about considering the discipline of God, God's discipline. Number four, the discipline of God is perfect. It's perfect. Now, there were many times growing up that I felt like mom and dad's discipline was not perfect. Anybody else? Yeah, there were times I remember, hey, 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 stop back there. Yeah, sometimes, right? We might feel, or, or you know, so my mom and dad, they, they, they swap it up on you. You may get a whipping this time. Next time, they may ground you for a month. You can't leave the house. You're sitting with mom and daddy all the time. Can't even go play baseball. And so uh, we learned some things. Listen, the discipline of God is perfect. Now, let's read. Y'all reading with me down into verse number 8? I'm going to read 9. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us. Dad, it is your responsibility to correct the behavior of your children. You all, you, everybody with me? Uh, you'll see in the scriptures when he's teaching, when the, when the word of God is teaching on discipline, he'll say, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. <clears throat> What's he talking about? As you're disciplining them. Um, and so, uh, dad, you're disciplined. That doesn't mean mom's not involved, but it means, dad, you're the primary. Some moms are in here going, hallelujah, tell him, please tell him. <laughs> some guy, listen, some of our dads are soft, man. Soft-hearted, and because of that, 
Listen, you're setting your children up to be so confused and mess up and blur the lines and not know how God deals with them. And don't do that to them. Love them more than that. All right, let me move on. Number, verse number nine, we have had human fathers. Listen to what he says, who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed, our daddies here on earth, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. See, I got scriptural evidence that mom and daddy's discipline was not always perfect. Seemed best to them. I was thinking about that today. Consider that. Did you know that there is no book that you can go and buy on discipline that is perfect cookie cutter for every child? If you have more than one, you'll you figure that out fast. Um, they're different. They respond differently. And so you have to treat them differently. Now, you've got to hold the line. You've still got to be consequences at the same line. You can't move the line. Line's got to stay in the same place, but the methods with which sometimes have to be different. And so as I was thinking about some of my children, I could just look at them and they'd melt down. Others of them I'd look at them and they'd laugh, you know, or, or keep a straight face. I don't even know nothing's going on. And, and you, there's... there's, there's as it seemed best to me. Now, that doesn't mean there's some kids that you can spat them on the hand and they'll spat you back 12 times and, and somebody will tell you, you just ain't spat them hard enough. I've seen, I've seen some dads spat the fire out of them and that little joker will be ready to fist fight while he's crying down there, you know? And I'm like, that might not be the best method because y'all are in a fight out here and somebody's going to go to jail if it escalates any further and he's only three. And, and you... you so, so what is he saying? He's saying that, that daddies and mamas, we do the best we can, right? We, we pray. We, we let the Scripture inform us. We hold the line. We don't be best friends with them. Listen, I hate to tell you, you're not going to be best friends with them until a little later down the road. Uh, they're going to be mad at you when you impose discipline. They're going to hate you. I'm telling you, well, not, they may tell you they hate you, but they, I'm telling you, but on down the road when they get a little older and they get out of the house, they see other kids struggling, they see that they're not, they're going to thank you for it. But the discipline of God, it's not like mom and daddy, because mom and daddy are doing the best they can. They're praying. They're being informed by the Scripture. They're asking other parents, right? There's some things that we can do. We should be talking to each other about these things. But ultimately, there's only one perfect parent, and that is, I wish somebody would help me, that is God himself. And so when you think about that tonight, think, think what he's saying here. If we respected our daddies, how much more so when God imposes punishment based on our rebellion we ought to receive it and say, Lord, thank you that you were willing to not let me go too far, that you were willing to stop me <clears throat> in my rebellion, that you were willing to call me back to yourself through a message preached or through this field of, by the way, uh, guilt is not a, a thing of the devil. Are you with me? Shame, on the other hand, is wrong. You don't want to live in shame. Jesus took the shame. Guilt is something God gives you. Guilt is more of a verdict thing. In other words, if God says, don't do this and I do it, I am guilty. And guilt should be something that brings me to conviction, right, and to confession, not separation or isolation from God, but guilt should ought to bring me to a place of brokenness and repentance. Now, not worldly sorrow, which says, I'm so sorry I got caught, now I got punishment, but godly sorrow, even if nobody catches me, God knows I did it, and my heart is now broken because I'm guilty for what I did, and I'm asking God to forgive me and cleanse me. And, well, we're learning some stuff tonight, aren't we? I love doing this with you guys. I really do all these years. I love doing this. Look with me now, if you will, reading on down, verse number 10. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but, how, but he, God, for our profit. And there's an interesting phrase here. Wait a minute. Mom and dad did the best of their ability, but God for our profit. Mm, wait a second. Okay, let me give you an example. 
Um, sometimes one of my kids would maybe, when they were little, uh, would start to throw a fit on the cereal aisle. Huh? Now if it's now confession time. Okay? I might have whipped my children in Walmart. I mean, I have whipped them in Walmart, but hang on. I might have whipped them with the sole motivation that they were bothering me with all that noise, which is not for their profit. It's just because you're getting on my nerves. See the difference? But God will never do that. God will never do that. He'll never punish you because you're getting on his nerves. He'll only punish me and you for our profit. He'll only, oh, somebody just picked that. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? I was reading it today. I was like, hallelujah, boy, that's so good. Uh, he'll only punish me for my profit, to make me better, to make me more like Jesus. Oh, I'm so thankful for the punishment of God. And I'm telling you, um, he's good to punish. All right, let me move on if I can. Finally, number five. Y'all didn't think we were ever going to get here, did you? So the discipline of God is perfect. Number five, the discipline of God is fruitful. It's fruitful. It produces things. It's part of that profit, okay, when he says it's for our profit. Verse number 11. Oh, let me finish verse 10. He for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. He'll make us more like Jesus. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Anybody amen that? But it does seem to be painful. There's always some pain involved. Whether it's pain for having to stay home with mom and dad, pain from a, you know, a paddling or what have you. But there's always some pain. It has to be painful or it is, it's not punishment. So he says, all of it seems painful, never joyful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields, there's a gardening term, okay? Because you don't have tomatoes the first day, although that makes my heart sad. I wish you could plant tomato seeds and that day eat a ripe tomato. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But you don't. You got to till up the ground. There's so much to the process. You got to plant the seed. You got to watch it grow. You got you to make sure it has adequate water. You have to prune it. You have to do. You have to stake it as it gets bigger. I want a tomato, don't y'all? And and it yield. But all of those those time consuming, effort involving things produce later down the road fruit. Tomatoes are fruit. And think about that for a minute. Think about that. So punishment now. Come on, help me, y'all. Produces fruit later. It's going to yield something. It's going to yield some of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so I don't need to back away from it. I don't need to quit because I'm experiencing some consequences because of the difficulty that, you know, I've endured in my life. And so then, so then let me just leave this last sentence there in your outline. So then be encouraged by God's perfect discipline. Lovingly obey to lighten your load. Now, let me tie it back to what I said as I began this section. I asked you a question. Is it right for us to lighten our load if we can? Now, your answer should be yes. Otherwise, go out and send all you want. Watch how that works out for you. All them bricks of chastisement will be stacking up, and it will get unbearable, and we'll be like Jonah in the belly of the great fish when he came to us and said, I can't do it anymore. We don't have to go there, right? We can walk this journey with Jesus and let him instruct and inform and correct. And sometimes, here's what I love. I love when the correction of God is just simply him speaking to me. You know he's good to do that. If you'll start the day in the word and in prayer and listen some, just be quiet, listen sometimes. Sometimes he'll tell me, the way you're thinking about that is wrong. And I'll be like, hang on now. You know how we do, and I have to wrestle it out with God. But he, he deals with me as a son. He didn't treat me like a misfit or some stranger that he doesn't know. 
He knows me. He knows how to deal with me. Aren't you? Hey, listen, aren't you glad he knows how to deal with you? He's a personal Savior, and he knows how to deal with me and you. So then be encouraged by God's perfect discipline. If we can lighten the load by obeying God, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? Why would we add extra difficulty to our lives because we're living in rebellion? And I want to conclude with one specific sin, the prevailing sin of the church. And I want to say to you this, if you are living in sin, according to the word of God, there is punishment. If you're living in sin and there is not punishment, you're illegitimate. If you're living tonight in the prevailing sin of the church, I believe in my estimation, which is not making disciples. Disobedience to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. If I surveyed quickly, how many of you don't do it? It's not between me and you, although it is in somewhat. If I was to survey this crowd and say, how many of you are paired up with one person discipling? Pouring into them what you've learned, how to pray, how to, how to live as a man of God, how to, you know, what you've learned so far. I wonder what the statistical data would say about the number of people in this room and how many are lovingly obeying Christ and making disciples like he wanted you to do. Some of us don't care that's what he wanted. Some of us are okay to just keep going. But if you're his child, you know what comes with that. Come on, somebody. Discipline. Could it be that, could it be the thing in your life that you're living in the greatest rebellion in is causing the discipline of God in some area of your life because you've yet to lovingly obey and say, Lord, no, I don't understand it all, but I, because here's what we all say, I don't have time for that. My goodness, what a dangerous statement. I wonder if we would all say tonight, Lord, I, I, what area of my life, God, am I heaving my load? And, and maybe as we go into a time of response, I'm, I'm going to invite you to bow your head with me for just a minute. Maybe as we go into a time of response, we might say something like this. Lord, if there's some area of disobedience in my life, would you show it to me? Before I take the train off the tracks, before there's a derailment, God, would you show me if there's some area of my life that I'm in disobedience? God, if I'm not making disciples, show me tonight that that's disobedience. And I want to keep going. I don't want to add weight. I want to keep going. I want to lighten the load by lovingly obeying. Because I don't know about you, but I want to get to the finish line. And I want to hear Jesus. Whew, think about this one day. To say to me, to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. So tonight, maybe you're here and you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life. My prayer for you is that tonight you'd be saved. You'd stop running, you'd quit playing church, you'd stop all that stuff, and tonight you would come, turn away from being your own captain, and in invite Jesus to be Lord of your life, believing in his death on the cross and his resurrection. If you've been born again, my hope and desire for you is that you'd keep going all the way to the finish line. How are you going to do that? Consider Jesus. When you start feeling put upon, when you start feeling like, oh, woe is me and me and my house and what I'm going through, uh, consider Jesus and the hostility he went through with sinners. Sinners that he came to save. When you're feeling down on, put upon, consider, consider the struggle that Jesus endured, sweating drops of blood, wrestling against temptation. When you feel like giving up, because the load is heavy and there's some rebellion in your life, I want to encourage you to keep going. Consider God's discipline for what it is. Have the right attitude. He loves you and he's proving it. It's evidence of a relationship between a father and a child. So, Father, I pray tonight at this time of response, Lord, that you'd have your way. God, that you'd do whatever you want to do in my heart and the heart of every one of these. And it would just be a sweet, personal time with us and you. 
Thank you tonight that you're reminding us who you are and whose we are. And Father, I pray that you would save tonight to the uttermost. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And all the people of God said, amen. Let's stand together.